there is something powerful about the public reading of the word. It's a part of, of um, I think, the life of the church, the life of Israel, certainly. Um, the public reading of scripture is a crucial part of our life. Um, we just got done with a 72-hour read through the entire Bible on UK's campus. I think it was like, I mean, we started, when was that? Rachel, when did you come to the church? Because that was... Yeah, it was the year before you came. To, I thought you came on the first year. No? Okay. I was thinking 06 is when it started, so that would make sense if you came in 07. Um, but you met us through the Bible reading, right? You and a number of... Yeah, okay. Yeah. And there are a few people around that kind of got associated with our churches through that reading. But, I mean, that's great, and people come to the Lord through that. But I think even, almost even more powerful than that is that we've read the entire word over the campus of UK uh, since 2006. So I don't know how, what, what year this was. 17 years. That's pretty awesome. Um, I always get convicted during the Bible reading of how seldom I read through the whole Bible because it's like, wait, you can do it in 72 hours? That doesn't seem like very much. We like stretch it out. Oh, I got to get through it in a year. Wait, you could do it in 72 hours if you drink a lot of coffee. Um, But the public reading of Scripture is very powerful. So let's pray. And then as our readers come up and read, um, we are receiving the word of the Lord actively. You know, they're, they're not like reading the text and then we receive the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. And anything I say is just comments to help us understand the word of the Lord. Amen? Um, so, and especially just because it says, have this, read or let, has it, have this letter read to the church. Um, I feel like we should, we should do that tonight. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this letter, for the truth in it. And thank you that... Um, You're still using it. You're still active and um, accomplishing the purposes for which this letter was written in your church today, Lord. And I pray that as this letter is read in our presence right now, Father, by the Holy Spirit, make Jesus real to us in this word. I pray that our hearts would deepen in our knowledge of you. That as Paul prays in this letter, we would be filled with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' holy name. Amen. Let's come on up. Go first. You can read here. Colossians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you in Christ, that you have all of the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, oh my gosh, I can't read this. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from 
Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom, have, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and those at Laodicea and all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom all things of whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. See it to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to the human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were 
circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive with together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of doubt that stood against us with its legal demands. And this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them over, put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on ascetism and worship of angels, going in on detail without, about visions, puffed up without reason in a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together throughout its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that, grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the ele- elemental spirits of the world, why, if you were still alive in the world, do you, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to all things that perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and ascetism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the adult indulgence of the flesh. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, 
lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. If we were more liturgical, I would say the word of God for the people of God. Well, I've been struggling this week to figure out how to how to close out our time in Colossians. I mean, I don't know what you say because it's it contains everything. Christ is everything. The letter is centered on Christ. The letter is centered on an understanding of the depths of Christ in us and us in him. Um, so I probably just have a few loose thoughts that I want to put together. I don't know how, how related to one another they will be. Um, but just to kind of give some closing highlights, I guess you could, you could say. Um, <clears throat> first of all, last week I feel like we, we breezed through the ending of chapter 3 a little too quickly, particularly 
verses 12 through 17. So I want to just come back and underscore a couple of things in there. You know, it talks about the, the put-offs, you know, the uh, putting to death and the putting off of the old man. And we spent some time talking about each of those things in the list that Paul gives, those sins of sexual immorality and the sins of anger, and they're all kind of uh, related in, in those two topics. Um, but I really think that we need to come out of that with, um, you know, a, a greater sense of what we, what we are putting on. Because what you're putting off is about what you're not doing and what you're, what you're ceasing, what you're rooting out of your life. But if we continually focus on what we're putting off, it's very easy to lapse back into that asceticism that he mentions a number of times here. And we just become fed up with all of the, you know, the parts of our lives where the old man keeps making an appearance. And um, it can become disheartening. Um, seeing all the times, man, how many times, because you know, when you meditate on this part of, about anger, I mean, it's almost, <laughs> it can become overwhelming. Like when the, when the Holy Spirit really shines a light on that part of your heart, man, I think that there were some things that I intended harm in, you know, this week. And how do I, how do I stop that? That's why I think the put-ons are so important, okay? So here's what he says. He says, put on then, and he gives that great, that great phrase, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Right? He gives a statement of our identity. He says, put on then because you know who you are fundamentally, which is God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. You're part of the people of God. This is who we are. This isn't something that you try and do with your life. This is who you are. And it's who you are because you are loved. You are beloved. You've been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. And so because we've received this life, because we've received the humility, kindness, compassionate heart of Jesus in our own lives, that is how we know what we are to put on. So we, first of all, all of this has, been, has happened to us. Everything that he's about to mention has happened to us in Jesus. He does these things for us. As First John says, we love because he first loved us. And we have to begin there, right? We have to begin there if we're going to put on these things. But he says compassionate hearts. Compassionate hearts. Put on a compassionate heart. King James has a great, you know, it's, it really gets to the, the heart of it, is, uh, is bowels of mercies. It's similar to the one in Philippians 2. But the heart there isn't the cardia, it's the, it's the guts. It's the guts word, right? Put on in your, it's, and it's an inner, innermost feeling. Put on it, it, at, the, at the root of who you are. Compassion, which is a deep sensitivity to somebody else, right? So right there, it takes your insides and directs them towards somebody else. You know, I think a lot of anxiety happens in the bowels, like in this sense. 
it's inside of it, and we, we're just in knots, but we're not in knots, we're in knots about ourselves. And our insides are in knots, and it just stays inside of us. And he says, put on bowels of seeing other people. Because all through this letter, you see glimpses of people struggling in prayer for somebody else. Struggling in prayer for somebody else. He says, (laughs) it's like when... uh, it's like when Samuel, you know, in the, in the, in the I forget which chapter, but Samuel uh, is, is lamenting the fact that Saul has uh, been rejected as king. And, and, and God comes to me and says, what are you doing here on your face? Fill your horn with oil and go. Um, we, can, we can mourn our putting offs and putting to deaths and get so wrapped up in ourselves in asceticism I think we sometimes just need to put on just get outside yourself take that take that churning and do it for somebody else stop thinking just stop thinking about your own life so much put on compassionate hearts direct it outward kindness <clears throat> I mean it's pretty self-explanatory but ask yourself, do I actively seek to be kind? Do I actively seek to be kind? Not to um, the people who are, you know, bringing me my food, who are checking out my groceries. Do I actively seek to be kind to those that it's the, high, the biggest challenge for me to be kind to? Right? Jesus makes this clear. He's like, well, it's not a really big deal if like, you're kind to someone who just really makes you feel is really kind to you you know if you love those who give you kind of a kickback emotionally what is that no can you be kind to the people that it's hard to be kind to or that you've kind of you used to be kind and now you're so familiar that you don't actively maintain kindness right families close friends co-workers that's where we need to put on kindness. Right? Familiarity breeds contempt. And in those familiar, contemptuous relationships, that's where we need to put on kindness. Humility. This is another uh, relating to yourself word. Kindness is how you, you approach others. And humility is the way that you view yourself. How do I think about myself? With humility. I am one who was separated from God, who because of his great love <coughs> forgave me of my sins, welcomed me back into his family, canceled the record of debt that stood against me, and that's really all I have going for me. <laughs> and so I can... <laughs> that's how I view myself, right? Right? I was way off the reservation, and God welcomed me back and forgave all of my sin, all the stupidity, and is working on renewing my life out of the mess that I made it. That's who, that's who I am. Meekness or, or gentleness and patience. Meekness is... 
Meekness has to do with the way you approach others. And patience has to do with the way that you respond or react to others. Okay, when you approach somebody, is, is your approach gentle? Or is it rude? Is it arrogant? Is it maybe even malicious? How do we approach one another? Patience. How do we respond to the way we are treated? That's what patience is. Patience, which is a long fuse. That's what, that's what patience means. Having a very long fuse. <coughs> Bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. Okay, these are, these are, these are virtues that we are to exercise with those with whom we're very familiar. He's going to talk about relating to outsiders, but these are words that we are to do with the people that he feels it necessary to tell us to bear with. That implies a long relationship. That implies familiarity, breeding some contempt, right? Bear with. Stick it out. Turn away from your natural response to those who are a little odd, a little difficult, at least to you. Right? We know that people are different. Certain personalities, when they're put together, they just it's harder for them to jive with others. All of us have a type of person that it's hard to bear with. Right? And they're, they're different. Everybody has a different type of person. You are that type of person for somebody. And so am I. We've got to remember that, too. Right? So we, we can think of, yeah, there's this type of person that is so hard for me to bear with. The... Someone in their description of that person is describing you. <laughs> and the, the sooner you embrace that, the sooner you'll progress in real community. <laughs> you will never not require bearing with. To, some, to somebody. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. All right? This is so, I mean, when you, when you actually, and I'm thankful that we actually have, I think, genuine community here, because this applies. This applies to, to us pretty readily. You should have a person or two that you think, oh, yeah, you know, I, I've been impatient with them in the way that they are, you know, and, and I've kind of got it in my mind that I need to try and change them. No. And even if you did, then you'd be the one who was, uh, who was uh, hurt by that because that is there to change you. That person is there to change you. Every person that it's hard for us to get along with is an opportunity for us to come to the end of ourselves, to, to put on Christ, okay? To put on Christ. So not just come to the end of ourselves, do that, but then at the end of ourselves, put on Christ. And again, he brings it back to 
you've got to understand that this is how it's so it's so simple. The equation is so simple. Love each other the way Jesus loves you. I mean, that is very basic and simple, but it takes a lifetime to actually mature into that. And that's what that's what this book is talking about. Maturing into the love, the kind of love that Jesus has for us, having that for one another. All right, so I realized last week that I didn't go through that list, the good list, <laughs> the put-on list, and, uh, and really kind of give us, slow down and take those one at a time. So that was one uh, random, random thought, unassociated thought. All right, the next thing I think we should take away, kind of in, in our grab bag of our to-go box from Colossians, is how crucial prayer is in this whole book. This whole book is soaked in prayer. Prayer, if you just read Colossians and you were trying to get a view of what daily life is like in the church, in the body of Christ, you would have to put prayer as like one of the primary activities. Man, it seems like, I mean, Paul opens the letter and he's praying for them. And um, then he's talking about the guys that he's working with and they're praying for them and he's praying for them and everybody's praying for each other. And then he closes his letter. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer. And then he says, and keep praying and pray for me. And I'm praying for you and I want you to pray for me. And for this prayer is like an ongoing orientation of life. Right? He says, um, Epaphras, uh, at the end, he's always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Continue steadfastly. That means that there's going to come times where you don't want to pray. Or where there's a distraction or where there's an interruption. Or where, you know, you're just occupied with something else. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Make it happen. You've got to pray. And I don't think it's, you know, although I think it includes getting away, you know, in a room by yourself with perfect quiet and really locking in. I think it's a day-to-day, moment-to-moment orientation of life, orientation of your inner life. I think it's one way, prayer is one way that you can put on these things. You have to pray, right? You have to be oriented toward somebody other than yourself. The way you get oriented towards somebody other than yourself is you pray. You pray. You enter into, when you're praying, you're entering into, you're opening up the, uh, the highway between you and the Holy Spirit and the life of God. And you're, you're, you're making that, you're just opening the door. Right? Paul even talks about pray that a door would be open for the gospel. Prayer opens doors. <clears throat> 
Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful. And that's staying awake, staying alert. Okay? Uh, it's when we... And Jesus gives this admonition to his disciples a lot, several times. Stay awake. It's when we, it's when we get drowsy... And I don't mean necessarily, it's like in, in a season of our life, when it's a drowsy season in prayer, when we're just not really locking in, he says, watchful, stay awake. Understand when that drowsiness is coming on. Jesus has several parables about staying awake and staying alert in the absence of the master. And when's he going to be here? And he says, some people are faithful. And they keep watch, and they keep their oils filled with their lamps filled with oil, and their wicks trimmed, and they're they're ready. Uh, some people, he says, they get drunk, and they beat their fellow servants. Right? These are two things that I think align with that sexual immorality and the anger. Right? They get drunk, meaning their senses start to take over their lives. And they start to beat each other. That's what drowsiness, that's what not being watchful will do. It will allow those lifelines of the old man that we are to cut off. It will allow those lifelines. And they will always come back. Right? They're like the worst weed. If you don't stay at the root of that thing, it will come back. It always comes back. It doesn't matter if you, you know, got... It's totally invisible. There's no weeds, visible weeds at all. That's great. Next week, you've got to go back and do the same thing. So steadf- continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful. I think that has to do with these, you've got to watch for these aspects of the flesh that will creep back. And be thankful. Watchful and be thankful. I think two great uh, ways to... Two great words to govern our prayers. It's, it's to be watchful prayer and thankful. Thankfulness is just such a fundamental posture of the Christian life. And if, I mean, and I, I, I'm more, more and more convinced of this every, every year. That thankfulness, well, I can, I'll put it this way. If you're really struggling in some area, and you haven't tried to figure out how to apply a thankfulness to that area. You haven't addressed it really seriously. <laughs> thankfulness covers, I think, a multitude of, of interior ills. These postures that creep up in our hearts. Because thankfulness acknowledges who we are. It acknowledges that everything, anything good about me is, is due to God, and I am thanking him for it. If there's anything good in my life, it has come from the Father. And I'm thankful for that. And it puts all of life into perspective. So he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, with thanksgiving. All right, so that's kind of the second loosely associated thought. 
Uh, the third, and maybe the final one, is <clears throat> how it would be easy to go away from Colossians and follow the shadow rather than the substance. You know where he says... Um, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And then he talks about the uh, things that have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. There's two things that he's talking about. One is kind of the religious systems and the outward markers of ritual. And if we were to give ourselves to ritual to try and accomplish what this letter is calling us to, maturity in Christ, we are embracing a shadow of the real thing. He says, no, in Christ you have the whole substance of the law and all the ritual and all the sacrifice and all the holidays and everything. You have all of that in Christ in a much more real sense. It's not symbolic. It is Substantive in Christ. And then he says, and if you go away and you try and follow some kind of method or some, some kind of program to beat your flesh into submission, which is right before he says, put to death what is earthly in you. Right? So we're not to take a... <laughs> we're not to take a... Um, uh, what's the word? like a passive or lax stance toward the sins in our life and the areas of of immaturity and sinfulness. By no means. But there's also a bad way to approach that. And it's a self-centered way. And it's really rooted in our own abilities. It is promoting self-made religion. And so I want to caution us against... Yeah, there are some really, last week we talked about some really serious sins that, that we are obligated by Scripture to examine in our lives and to cut off the source of those sins in our lives. And if we're not actively doing that, we're not really obeying the Word of God. But there's a way to do that that will just lead to a cyclical failure, and it just goes down and down and down. Because it's not rooted in Christ. It's not rooted in working with him. How Paul says, I powerfully work with, with all his energy that he works within me. It, it's, it's when you go away and you try and manufacture your own energy. You try and feel bad enough about these things so that you'll do something about it. But that, that will run out. That always runs out. Our resolutions always are broken by February. We don't do it for a whole year. Uh, And you need to understand, that's who you are. Your flesh is not designed to sustain the life of, the the, the mature life of Christ. It cannot. Your flesh is, is, is dying. It is decaying. It is going into the grave. That's where the fleshly part of you is going and where it belongs. 
but there is a new life in you. You are a new creation. And you need to embrace the new life and feed the new life. Don't try to achieve the new life by means of the old life. Okay? And so that's what I want to, that's what I want to, that's kind of the third thing I want us to take away is that our best intentions will fail. If you see that list of sins, you're going, I'm going to, I'm going to put every one of those to death in me this week. But you don't also, first of all, understand that you're God's chosen, holy, and beloved. And also continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful. And also be thankful and continually humble yourself before God in gratitude and thankfulness. And also set your minds in prayer on things above where Christ is seated. And as your mind are set, minds get set on things above where Christ is seated, you get back to the chapter one truths about who he is. And you understand that it's his life risen from the dead that is your life. And then you, your, your eyes are open, your heart is open to that, and you embrace that. And then you approach the things that are earthly in you, and, and you're, you're in the right mindset. You're in the proper mode to put those things to death. Okay? But you can't just say, these things are bad, I need to go stop them. Because you, you'll be worse off than when you start, I guarantee you. And I'm, you've been there before. When you try and, and get when you try and change something about yourself that's so rooted in your flesh, you can't change it. It has to die. <laughs> it's never going to change. That's why you need to be put to death and raised a new creation. Right? Yeah, I could keep going. I want to say two more small things. Um, <clears throat> when the word of Christ is dwelling in you richly, which I think happens in prayer as we set our minds on things above, we are filled with the word of Christ and it's there and it's, it's, it is just radiating inside of us. And we are teaching and admonishing one another. Then when we approach outsiders, as it says in verse 5, chapter 4, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. We understand that maybe their best shot at coming into contact with the Lord Jesus Christ is in my life. And that takes wisdom, right? He says it takes wisdom because you need to understand people are different. People respond in different ways. Walk in wisdom, he says, and this is wisdom that I think we can get by praying. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. I love that. I love that metaphor. Um, The way that we walk towards outsiders 
the way that we approach the world, our speech is to be seasoned with salt. Meaning that anything that we say to someone, and I think this is possible if we, if we pray and if we're full of the Holy Spirit and we ask God for wisdom, I think it's possible for even non-explicit references to the gospel or to Jesus to taste different. Right? For people to hear something or to interact with you in a way that's different. There's a different flavor there in that person. That's, that's who we are in the world. It says that Jesus says we're the salt of the earth. That's who we are. That's a great way to envision yourself. Going about your daily business, interacting with the people that you come across every day. If you are full of the Spirit, if you're continuing steadfastly in prayer, if your mind is set on things above, if you're rejoicing in who you are in Christ and who he is in you, then as you interact with people, they're going to know there's something different. They're going to know there's something different. And so I want to give, give you that encouragement to understand and, and view, make that part of your prayer life. Take your life in prayer out into the world. And, and people will know uh, that there's something different about you. Um, and then this one I just like. I don't really know what exactly I like about it. I just really like it. Um, maybe it's an, it's an exhortation. I really love exhortation. Uh, in chapter 4, verse 17. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I like that. Paul, I guess, had had a conversation or he knew about this guy, Archippus, in the Colossian church. And... Maybe he got some kind of report about, you know, as, as Epaphras was telling him what was going on in Colossae, he mentioned something about Archippus. And here's Paul, like, founding the church <laughs> all, all through, the, all through the, the world. And he remembers this guy, Archippus, and, he, and because he's full of prayer and because he's, he has put on compassion and he's put on all these things that he's calling us to put on, he calls him out by name in this letter and says, fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. And this guy was discouraged. or Maybe he was getting distracted or, or whatever. But Paul calls him out and says, hey, you have a ministry from the Lord. See to it. See to it, man. And so that really, that really spoke to me. And I thought there might be a person in two, or two in here where you need to hear that. You know, your name needs to be singled out and say, hey, you know the ministry you've received from the Lord. You know who you are. You know what he's, the gifts he's given you. And um, you need to see to it. See to it that you fulfill that ministry. It's not your efforts. He's given it to you. It's his power working in you. It's his gift. And you need to see to it that you fulfill it. God's done his part. And he's waiting for you to get on board with that ministry that he's given you. All right. Um, that's pretty much what was on my heart as we, as we close our time out in Colossians. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to read the letter 
say a couple things, and then just, I, I really don't think that there's any better way to do it than to, you know, to eat uh, the Lord's Supper together. Uh, so many things about what we're called to do in relating to Jesus and symbolizing his life in us are just so poignantly portrayed in uh, the body and the blood and as we partake together. Um, so, let's prepare our hearts to come to the table. Are you coming up to play? Oh, yeah. See to it, man.